I knew this was a crazy week when uh, I told you I was busy the past couple of nights and you were like, no problem. I'm in LA. And then I have choir until 11 PM. And I felt not bad at all about having a playoff softball game on Thursday night, which is like the latest possible time we could do this podcast unless we were doing it live and releasing it to the people as we were recording. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly podcast about the largest division of NCAA football. We welcome you to podcast number 253, the one where we get ready for week eight of Division Three football season. It is the podcast for October 25th of 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan. I guess I'm the editor emeritus or whatever you would like to title me at this point heading on uh, 20 years of doing this alongside you. I dub the, how about senior editor? Okay, fine. Um, we've been doing what, the pod for 12 years and we're about, we're more than 12 podcasts deep into this season. We're looking at week eight of the D3 season of the of the 11 regular season weeks. And then of course you have the five week run to Shenandoah where the Stag Bowl is held. So I guess we're, we're crossing the halfway point if you're uh, if you're going all the way to Shenandoah, and then for uh, for a lot of you, we'll we'll lose you in a couple of weeks here. So this is the stretch run. We do hope you stick around. If you don't stick around, uh, if you are someone who does go away when your part of the football season is over, we invite you to head on over to d3hoops.com, where we are uh, in the throes of preseason preparations and coverage and that sort of thing. The preseason men's basketball top twenty-five, with any luck from our voters will be available on, say, Tuesday the 29th. And if you're a team that you know gets eliminated and falls out of your race on Saturday, maybe that's a place to go. If you're a team like, uh, let's say you're a team like St. Olaf, who started off 5-0, and lost big to Bethel. You've got St. John's. Uh, you're staring down the barrel of St. John's this week. You know, maybe it's a little tough to continue. Maybe you're just sticking around then to see if you can finish 6-4. and four. If you're someone like, let's say... I don't even know, uh, like Kane, who started off, you know, with a uh, a couple of losses, picked up a couple of wins, picked up a couple more losses, and you're staring down the barrel of trying to figure out that uh, triple option or spread option offense that Salisbury is running. Um, maybe uh, maybe women's basketball is your thing, but no, you need to stick around because football is, you know. Football is a year-round thing in a lot of cases, and certainly for us here at D3Football.com, it is worth at least following for the full 18 or so weeks from a couple weeks before kickoff until the end of the Stag Bowl, the final podcast, the final All-America team, uh, Adam Turr's Around the Nation year in review, all of that stuff that is still ahead. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we've always done wall-to-wall coverage, and I have to imagine... If you are a podcast listener, you're one of our diehards, and so you know, you know how we roll, you know how we do it. I, I thought, yeah, there were some other great examples, Pat, of teams who had gotten off to rough starts, who are who are um, going to be playing this week, and and doesn't necessarily get any easier. Um, Concordia Moorhead, maybe the toughest schedule in in the country when you consider that they started off with Lacrosse and Whitewater, played those two teams tough. Then they've uh, they've had to play St. Thomas. 
they've been off since uh, since a loss to Gustavus a couple weeks ago, and now they get Bethel and and St. John's the next couple weeks before closing with St. Olaf. So that's a team that's you know could be uh, five and one or six and zero oh in a, in a completely different conference. They're two and four. Um, you know, there there are other teams I think in the in the WIAC and uh, MIAC and some of the other really tough conferences that are struggling. But I also think at this stage of the game, there are some surprise teams, some teams we thought might be pretty good who are who are um, either in the mix, in the lead of conferences, and uh, now have to finish it out for the next couple weeks. So, you know, whether it's like a like an Olivet, whether it's a Texas Lutheran that's in a in playoff position, uh, Chapman, a little bit of a surprise at the top of the Skyac, uh, all the teams that are in the mix in the SAA, uh, along with uh, along with Barry, which we expected to be at the top. I don't know if we expected Austin and Birmingham Southern. Um, and there was uh, there's at least one other conference that we talked about in some previous podcasts where there are a handful of teams in the mix. I'm trying to think if it come will it come to me. I don't know, but I look at Susquehanna as being a team like that. And then I also think of teams that are like in new positions this week. Like Union will be playing as a member of the D3Football.com for the t- uh, top 25 for the first time. Uh, they'll be hosting Buffalo State. Johns Hopkins will be playing as an unranked team for the first time in who knows how long. They actually go down or go out tonight if you're listening on Friday, Friday night against Gettysburg. That's the only Friday night game this week. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll talk about a bunch of other games coming up in just a moment. This edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It. I have been enjoying watching people get those fan foams, posting their pictures of them on Twitter uh, to see if they're, uh, I don't know if they're posting them on their wall or, uh, you know, putting them in the window of the uh, tailgate vehicle, tailgate mobile, tailgate machine. But if you're a fan of University of Mary Hardin Baylor or Mount Union or UW Whitewater or Johns Hopkins or East Texas Baptist in Division Three, yeah, those are D3 schools, uh, and I lo- as well as a handful of uh, Division One programs, these are things that are really cool for fans to have. Absolutely. They're super official looking. They'll uh, make your logo come to life, not just with the colors and the shapes, but with the um, the way it, it gets, it's got a three dimensional feel to it. So it's not like having a flat poster on the wall. It's also something that, you know, that can be mobile that you can have in your, your basement or your man cave or your team room at home and then take it on the road with you, wave it at the game and then bring it back to the spot at home. So we, of course, and, and I say this most every week, are excited about it because it's a program uh, or it's a program, it's a product that's worthy of of our love here in D3, but it's also um, it's you know homegrown, sponsored by folks who, uh, who who know our level, and we'd love to get more folks, uh, more teams on board. You know, anytime Randolph Macon wants to wants to make one, I'll, I'll get a big uh, foam. Gotta have it in my basement. Things that are like like you describe or like uh, you know we talked about the Wabash earlier we talked about it with uh, Lake Forest coach Jim Catanzaro on a previous podcast there's lots of ways that your school can look really cool on one of these things you can find more information about it at gottahaveitfanfoams.com and if you're someone who's in charge of marketing or for the athletic department in general or maybe in charge of like alumni relations or in charge of you know getting stuff out to your football player alumni scroll down that page and see what gotta have it can do for your school 
We have a couple of different interviews to bring you as we get you ready for Week 8 games. We're going to start out by talking with St. John's quarterback Jackson Erdman. He and I talk here about being a senior quarterback and then developing chemistry with a new crop of young receivers. We talked before, and we've talked about, like, you know, prepping and getting to know new receivers and stuff like that. Now we're halfway through the season. Uh, you've got a bunch of sophomores who are, are your primary pass catchers. What's it been like kind of bringing these guys along and figuring out what makes each individual receiver tick, that sort of thing? Yeah, so at the end of last season, we kind of knew we were losing a lot of our weapons. So coming in, some of the young guys would have to step up. So TJ and Ravi and a bunch of other guys stayed this summer and we just worked on building that chemistry, building that trust. So it's been a process, but you know I'm loving where we are now. And each and every week, we get better and better. Um, so it's been fun. What's the process like, or what do you kind of go through to figure out, you know, what each of these guys can do, uh, you know, and where you, you know, what what you want to do with them? Yeah, so they, they, they catch the ball and they're very, very athletic after the, they catch the ball too. So I just got to get in their hands, put it on them. You know, we do a lot of prep with the film, with the coaches. Uh, coaching staff does a great job putting together a uh, game plan um, where we can get the ball in their hands. And once it's in their hands, you know, they're dangerous with it. When you're just throwing with a guy, you know, it's just you and receivers and, and that sort of thing. What is a, What do you learn from that? And then how does that translate to in game where, you know, there's uh, 11 defenders out there and you're all in pads and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, a lot of it's just building trust and timing, you know, working on timing routes, what the def what they should do if the defense comes out like this. So a lot of times we just have one of our plays, you know, we just have like an option or choice. So based on how they line up, they just, we know they're going to do this route or whatnot. So it's a lot of trust and, you know, just practice. All right, so we've kind of lumped them together as three sophomores and you've described them all as guys who are athletic and do stuff after the catch, but right, they're not, three identical people so let's talk about them uh, each individually tell us a little tell us a little bit about Ravi Alston yeah Ravi you know he's a playmaker you know he has a large catch radius you know so if I put it just around him I know he'll make a play he's so smooth with his route run running um, and he's just dangerous St. Thomas was trying to double bracket them a couple him a couple times which I you know I expected them to do and when they did it or even when they did we still exploited it on them um, but yeah Ravi's a smooth kid he made a great catch for you against Bethel as well yeah, he did. Yeah, he and th that's like what I was talking about, just like one of the option plays, you know, that wasn't supposed to be a go route when he did. Um, but just based on what they did, he ended up just keeping it straight. So, yeah, he, he's a good player. How about TJ Hodge? TJ, you got to get the ball in TJ's hands. He'll make guys miss. He's so quick. Um, and then coming across the middle and everything, you know, just building that trust. He, he knows what he's doing as an athlete, as a, running routes and everything, when to look for the ball. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a phenomenal athlete as well. And I just try to get in his hands as much as possible. Uh, tell us a little bit about Matt Moore. Yeah, Matt Moore, he's so so fast you know um great route runner and smart kid uh yeah i just love him he, he's a great player and uh i think it's a, we have to put henry trost in this list too right oh yeah yeah henry i call him hank um hank's a phenomenal athlete runs downhill and he's a great route runner and has that kind of second second burst on that people can't keep up with him on um rest of the offense right, we saw kai barber a lot on saturday uh just just hitting people and, and carrying them uh what's it like having him in the backfield with you it's awesome. You know, he kind my roommate. He's one of the vets. He's older than me. He's been around here for a while. Um, and he's just a tough physical back at the end of the game. He's running downhill, just smoking him, running him over. And I knew that happened. You know, it's just a lot of confidence with him back there. I didn't think anyone was older than you. Yeah, I know. I know. Believe it or not, I'm not the oldest on the team. 
Uh, you had just an amazing amount of time to throw in a lot of situations against St. Thomas on Saturday. Those guys up front really protected for you. Oh my gosh, they, they're the players of the game. You know, um, all we can practice, we had a stopwatch and I had to have the ball up by 2.5 seconds. Today it felt like I had five or six seconds to throw the ball. You know, had, could stand back there for days and make the reason just tear them apart. Um, so yeah, MVPs of the day go to the offensive line, hands down. All right, so you've faced two really tough opponents, two teams that came in, uh, you know, one unbeaten and one with one loss each of the last two weeks. You come up with uh, St. Olaf coming up next. What's it like to kind of re-gear and get back into focus after a big rivalry game to face somebody else who's doing well? Yeah, it was a big two weeks for us. You know, coming having Bethel and St. Thomas back to back. Um, you know, we had to, we knew we had to perform coming in. We did, uh, but yeah, now it's just back to grind time, as it already was grind time. But just focusing on what we can do to get better each and every week. This year versus last year, how does it feel? You know, it, it feel it feels uh, definitely different just with the guys we have, new group. Uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement, and we just gotta keep taking care care of business and getting better each and every week. The word out of Collegeville and in surrounding areas in Minnesota was basically that we've got this All-American quarterback coming back. The defense looks pretty good, should have a nice offensive line. All we got to do is find some pass catchers. They've found them. They're each, they're, you know, they're each a little different. They each bring some different things to the table. But they've played really well in, in the big games the past couple of weeks. And, and that has, uh, has given Johnny's fans, I think, the confidence to say maybe we can, we can put a pretty nice run together. And I think that was the hope all along. But until you see it, you know, you can't really fully buy in. And, and the stuff that Jackson Erdman is talking about is high-level college offense, pro offense type of stuff where the plays aren't drawn out necessarily pre-snap. You have an option. And so, like, for an example of an option route would be, um, you know, just depending on your – not only are you getting zone or, or man coverage, but also are they playing you close? Are they pressing you? Are they playing you inside shade, outside shade? And if they're giving you the out route, you just take the out. If they're giving you the in, you know, you can set it up with, like, a, you know, you give a jab, step out, and come in. Uh, if they're playing you super tight, you can turn it into a go. Some examples, I'm sure his are a little more complicated than that. But essentially, they don't know until about three steps off the line uh, where the receiver is going to end up. And, and it's sort of the receiver and the quarterback have to be on the same page. And every now and again, you'll see, you know, a guy break in and the and the receiver, the ball goes out to the sideline. And obviously they weren't seeing the same thing. That's when, you know, you know, you have op option routes and guys have to be on the same page. And that's the type of thing that comes with. A season, a season and a half, two seasons of working together. These guys, you know, just seven games in, having that kind of chemistry is really encouraging for Johnny's and, and their fans. Our second piece comes to us courtesy of Frank Rossi and James Baker over at In the Huddle. As part of their episode, which dropped on Thursday, they chatted with Cortland quarterback Brett Sagala, and he picks up here by talking about his offensive line. They are part of the reason that we're even talking about this whole thing. I think uh, a big part of it. Why don't you go ahead and name them? Yeah, so from left to right, uh, David Aronson at left tackle, Russell Howard, uh, one of our captains, is our left guard, Mike Bailey, our center, Russell Lugbauer is our right guard, Travis Alvarez is our right tackle, and I'd be reminiscent not to mention when we come in in our big offensive line packages with Day-Day uh, uh, Griffin, Jamie Mann, and then our two tight ends, Ricky Chenard and David Stegman. They all deserve the credit. Uh, they make me look good. They keep me clean on Saturdays, so... All the credit goes to those old linemen. Yeah, the, the, the moneymaker is protected at, uh, at all times uh, by those That's guys. Right. At this point in the season, you, you guys are 6-0. and You're ranked number 19 in the nation. You're one of a dozen undefeated teams uh, remaining in mm -hmm. Division Three. Last season, you guys were this close to winning the Empire 8 title. Um, and so 
was there like an added motivation coming into this season? I know you, you know, you're a senior, but I think you guys have a pretty big senior class. There's a lot of a lot of leaders on this team, kind of across the board. Um, was that yeah. sort of close call uh, last season? Sort of something that's really helped motivate you guys to keep you know, winning all these games. I think for sure. Um, I think it comes down to the, our three losses. We lost three games last year by 13 points um, to Alfred, Brockport, and Ithaca. So that really drove us wow. this offseason was we were 13 points from an E8 championship, a playoff bid, things like that. Um, but in the long run, it's about us. It's Coach Mack talks about it every week is we can control what we can control. Um, wherever we're playing, we got to put the ball down and go to work. And uh, this senior class, we really drove the underclassmen. But we also have underclassmen who are leaders too. So they deserve a lot of credit. Our freshmen deserve a lot of credit too for stepping into a group that was really established from the spring and making their presence known. So from top to bottom, the senior leaders to the freshman leaders, uh, everybody deserves a lot of credit for where we're at. And we just got to keep the ball rolling right now. Two weeks ago, though, uh, you had an interesting game against Morrisville State. Now, we look at what they did against Utica on Saturday, and we'll look at the week before what they did with Alfred yeah. in terms of a seven-point mm -hmm. game. And we're starting to get some idea right now that Morrisville State is really in it to win it themselves and with some great play, great players. So put on your coach hat for a second to the degree you can. Give mm -hmm. us some background right now about Morrisville. You've played them before. Is this an improved team, and is this making the Empire 8 even that much better right now or that much harder for a team like yours? I, I agree 100%. Morrisville always has been a very talented football team, a well-coached football team. Um, I know their head coach, Coach Fitzpatrick, they recruited me out of high school, and they've always been well-coached, and they've always been right there. Um, they played a great game against us a couple weeks ago, and in the Empire 8, you're never safe every week. Um, everybody can play Everybody can play ball, and from top to bottom, I think we're one of the strongest conferences in the in the country. So Morrisville is definitely starting to make a name for themselves with these games they're playing. Um, got a solid quarterback over there in Bill, and um, they played us tight. They gave us a run for our money, and obviously I saw the stats from Saturday against Utica, played a great game against Utica. So, I mean, all the credit goes to their coaching staff and their players for working hard and getting to the point today. <laughs> What's Coach McNeil telling you guys uh, this week as you get ready for Fisher? I mean, I guess it, it's it's human nature to you know to look forward to things, and you know you've got a, a big game in two weeks against Brockport. Everybody knows about Cortica. It's going to be a giant stadium, probably the biggest crowd in Division Three history. Supposedly over forty thousand tickets sold for that. How do you guys focus in on a Fisher team which almost knocked off Ithaca a couple weeks ago? Um, has shown flashes of being a very potent offense, but and historically has had a, a pretty uh, complicated, you know, defensive system with like the three-three stack and different stuff going mm -hmm. on. What what what's what's kind of the mindset of the team as you guys try to dial in on Fisher with all this other outside noise, top twenty, Cortica, et cetera, going on in the background? Right, like you said, a lot of outside noise right now. But like I spoke on it earlier, it's it's about us. We just gotta show up. We got guys in the building today, just getting into the film and getting ready for Fisher. Um, we understand how important of a game it is. Um, everybody wants to talk about Cortica, and I understand it. It's a huge game, and we're all excited for that opportunity. But we got Fisher first, and Fisher's our only concern right now. Um, we just got to come in, have a great week of practice, work hard, and we're going to go over there at 4 o'clock on Saturday and put the ball down, play our game of football offensively, defensively, and special teams. And 
we'll worry about those other games when we get there. But right now it's just straight Fisher and let's go to work. Pat, I love that we're at the point in the season where we're learning about sophomore wide receivers from St. John's and O Lyman and 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 big package uh, O Lyman from uh, from Cortland State. You know, this is part of what we're able to give by having two podcasts a week and having one that strictly looks forward. And I love that we're able to get uh, players like Jackson Urban and Brett Sagala on here. I think that something that that he highlighted though is um, having those those losses last season. You know, we don't realize from afar how backloaded this uh, this Cortland schedule is. And so even though they've gotten off to the 5-0 and start, they've moved into the poll over the past few weeks, and, and they're, they're now 6-0. and They've beaten Morrisville State and Alfred the past couple of weeks. Uh, the game's a little closer than some of their early games where they were winning 63-0, 59-21. Now they're, they're in 10-point games like against Alfred. But they're at St. John Fisher this week. St. John Fisher's 4-1. and Brockport following week. Brockport hasn't lost since week one. Then, you know, they play Hartwick on the road. And then the, the big game against uh, Ithaca at MetLife Stadium. So as much as we're into Cortland and, and Brett Sagala and this offense right now, still a lot of work for them to do to get into the postseason, to win the Empire 8, to win this rivalry game. And then we can talk about them as maybe a danger to go uh, a few rounds in, if not further. You can find the full version of that interview by searching for In the Huddle, the East Region Division Three football podcast. Thanks to Frank and James for sending some excerpts along. It's time for games to watch, and I'm going to start us off with UW Lacrosse hosting UW Oshkosh. Oshkosh lost on its long trip to Salisbury, and since then, Salisbury has launched its way into the top 10 thanks to that win and also to its subsequent win against Wesley. Meanwhile, Oshkosh has languished fairly unnoticed by our top 25 voters in part because their games since then have been against Huntington, Stout, Stevens Point, and Eau Claire. People have probably been waiting for this week to decide what to do with Oshkosh as they finish with this game at Lacrosse, then go back across the state to Platteville and then host River Falls and Whitewater to end the regular season. Keith talked previously about Oshkosh quarterback Kobe Berghammer, especially his skills in the run game, and Lacrosse will present a completely different skill set with Evan Lewandowski behind center. But suffice it to say that the man who threw nine touchdowns last week against River Falls will find tougher sledding this weekend against the Titan defense, which has allowed just four passing touchdowns all season. The lacrosse defense, which gave up 49 points and none of it on cheap drives either, should have an easier time with the Oshkosh offense, which hasn't been nearly as potent in 2019. But it might be interesting to see what the Titans can do against this group. So while it won't be 63 to 49, this could be a game that is more like 28 to 13. Keith? So I'm here to tell you guys about 15th ranked Harden Simmons at number one ranked Mary Harden Baylor. Now some of the luster came off this rivalry when... The Cowboys open October with a 38-27 loss to Texas Lutheran. But Harden-Simmons can buff some shine right back into this thing with a win. And at least once this season, the top-ranked crew has looked vulnerable. It's been a scuffle for the Cowboys in some ways, losing All-American O-lineman Jonathan Castaneda in Week 2 and rotating all kinds of O-lines, including seven right tackles so far. Yet Harden-Simmons looks most like most Jesse Burleson teams do, ridiculous offense to the tune of 559 yards per game. But Trinity held them to 16 points back in week two, so there are days that can be stopped. And UMHB has done a lot of stopping lately, allowing only a field goal in the past six quarters. Offensively, quarterback Jace Hammock got the start two weeks ago against East Texas Baptist, and Luke Poorman got the nod last week against Southwestern. The offense was fine either way. 
Meantime, it's only been since 2015 since Harden-Simmons won in this series, and with some of the pressure off now that they have a loss, maybe they'll spring another upset. With the crew as undefeated in the regular season in the Crew Cathedral, 53-3 in all action since it opened. Actually, I thought it was 53-2. Who knew? Now let's throw it to our guy who lives in Ohio State, Adam Turr, to preview a clash in Michigan. After six games, we really don't know much about the two frontrunners in the MIAA. After Saturday, we will know a whole lot more. Hope is 5-1, 4-0 in conference play. The Flying Dutchman averaged nearly 53 points per game. Olivet is unbeaten, 6-0 overall and 4-0 in conference. The Comets give up just 14.5 points per game. Hope hung 80 on Defiance and 79 on Finlandia, inflating their numbers against teams still seeking the win column in 2019. But the Flying Dutchman also scored 51 on Trine and 52 against Albion, respectable conference opponents. Mason Oppel is one of the top dual-threat quarterbacks in the nation, accounting for 21 touchdowns without turning the ball over. He leads the team in carries, but hasn't fumbled. He completes 65% of his passes, tossing 14 touchdowns without throwing an interception. Olivet defenders Miguel Mannion and Andrew Campbell will have their hands full, trying to take down the 6'3", 236-pound quarterback. Defense has been the Comets' calling card this season. Olivet yields just 246 yards per game. Meanwhile, the Comets' offense is putting up a respectable 35.5 points per game, starting a freshman at quarterback in Caleb Jarrett. The offensive line has protected the rookie while paving the way for running back Noah McMinn. The senior has rushed for over 130 yards per game. Six different players have combined for 22 rushing touchdowns for the Comets. There was almost surely going to be a new MIAA playoff representative this season. Trine won the league in 2018 and 2017, but is currently tied with Finlandia in the cellar at 0-3. Hope hasn't made the playoffs since 2006 and suffered through a winless conference season as recently as 2016. Olivet shared the title in 2015, then won it outright and advanced to the playoffs in 2016. The winner of this showdown doesn't control its own destiny, as both teams still have to face Alma. But Saturday's victor will certainly have the inside track to a Pool A bid and will likely garner some coveted top 25 votes in Sunday's poll. I guess a college football team from Michigan can win a conference championship after all. Division three really has something for everyone. Hail to the wow! Shots fired. All right, let's send it out to Greg Thomas. We're still one or two weeks away from teams clinching bids, but we have reached the point of the season where teams start to get one foot in the tournament door. And we have just that scenario this Saturday when 5-1 and one Averett travels to Montgomery, Alabama to face 4-2 and two Huntington. Averett's offense is led by the USA South's top passer and senior quarterback Jacob Wright. Wright is a high completion percentage guy. He doesn't turn the ball over, and he's thrown for a league-high 16 touchdowns this season. All of those things add up to Wright being the fourth most efficient quarterback in the division. His partner in the backfield is senior running back Joshua Tapscott. Tapscott is a triple threat for the Cougars. He averages over five yards per rush as the primary ball carrier. He's also a dangerous release valve for Wright catching passes out of the backfield. And is the Cougars' top kick return option as well, with two kickoffs returned for touchdowns this season. Huntington is a team that took a couple of tough losses back in September and fell off of the radar a little bit. They've been perfect since a tough result at UW Oshkosh and come into this showdown firing on all cylinders. One big reason for Huntington's hot streak is that they're getting the ball to their star-wide receiver, Otis Porter. Porter has caught 17 balls over the last two weeks for 276 yards and four touchdowns. Huntington also boasts the number two rusher in the conference in junior Eric Thomas. 
Thomas is averaging just over 106 yards per game and gives the Hawks offense a nice bit of run-pass balance. If there is one major statistical edge either way in this game, the Averitt defense is it. The Cougar defense is tops in the conference in yards allowed, and they flat out get after the quarterback. The Cougars have recorded 28 sacks in six games, which leads the nation, and those sacks come from all over the place. Seven different Cougars have recorded at least two sacks this season, led by sophomore defensive end Joseph Ledbetter. For Averett, a win at Huntingdon on Saturday gets their foot in that playoff door for the first time in program history. They'll have a full game lead on the rest of the league, with head-to-head wins over their top challengers and three games left where they will be heavily favored. For Huntingdon, a win totally reverses a really tough start to the season and puts them in a position to earn the USA South bid to the tournament, pending what would be a huge game against North Carolina Wesleyan in a couple of weeks. And we'll finish off games to watch with Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. While Salisbury appears to have a stranglehold on the NJAC title race, This weekend's game between Montclair State and number 13 Wesley is an important game with national implications. Coming into the season, Montclair had high hopes to potentially win the NJAC with the exit of Frostburg State to Division II. Yet the season has not played out for the Red Hawks as hoped. The team started the season at 1-3 with the defense giving up about 26 points per loss. Now, though, Montclair is riding a two-game winning streak, and in the team's three wins, the defense has given up an average of just six points per game. Wesley, on the other hand, has more pressure coming into this game. The Wolverines are still in the position to secure a potential pool C at large bid into the playoffs, and Montclair represents probably the toughest remaining test for Wesley with four games to go. Wesley has seemed like a different team, even despite the close Salisbury loss, since John Mullen was inserted as quarterback during the Endicott comeback by the Wolverines. Mullen has completed 73% of his passes and has thrown 10 touchdowns against just one interception. The surprise offensively for Wesley, though, is that the ground game hasn't shown consistency as no running back has netted more than 214 yards total in six games. The tough defense of Montclair against the healthy passing game of Wesley already is a good reason to watch this game. However, add to that the one-point win by Montclair in 2018 over Wesley and the close call a year earlier when Montclair was leading in 2017 heading into the fourth quarter. This game adds up to a chance, albeit small, for an inconsistent Montclair team to take Wesley out of Pool C contention if Jaquiel Birch can lead his team despite his eight interceptions of the season against just 10 touchdown passes. One thing's for sure. A number of undefeated and one-loss teams nationally will be watching for this game's result to see if one less quality Pool C nominee remains in contention. Back to two guys who know Jack about the end, Jack, Pat and Keith. time for on the spot where uh, it's the kind of the game show portion of the podcast where uh, Keith and I put each other on the spot with a question about uh, Saturday's games that we have not let them know was coming it's Keith's turn to put me on the spot first so what do you got Pat I've been waiting all season to dust off this classic and I actually forgot what we named it but I'm sure you know what's coming is it rare font bud ships there we go yes I'm glad you remember the name of it uh, you got to give me two. I'll just say two winners. Uh, pick two games, and all you need to do is pick the winner. No margin of victory or anything. But you have to explain it to us and the listeners in rhyme form. So if you were going to pick Claremont mud, mud Scripts, you would say Rare Font Bud Chips. Yeah, that is um, – I, I don't even know if that was the name of the game, but that is how I remember it because 
I don't know. I guess I must have been something resembling on fire that night, or maybe I was just burning something. I'm not quite sure. In any case, that's the name of the game now. And you can stop stalling and pick. All right. So for my first game here in this challenge, I'm going to go with, let's see, Paint Floor Bert repeats Torrents. Nice. Which and I, that gives you a locality reference. You've been a, you've been to Torrance recently. <laughs> I, and for those who are the uninitiated, are you going to translate or should I? Well, yeah, that's that's Saint Norbert defeats Lawrence. That's a Midwest Conference game, and uh, probably a fairly uh, easy and solid pick on your part. I have been kind of sticking safely in the realm of easy and solid picks, although we'll talk about how one of those did not come up uh, correctly for me later. I don't know. I feel like I'm already apologizing for my uh, for my answers here. I just feel like I was not nearly as creative tonight as I was when we played this game in podcast number. I have no idea. All right. I'm not looking it up for my other game. It's going to be uh, four count ain't bros. Yep. Clover Bose Dolman. Bose Dolman sounds like it should be a law firm or something. Well, yeah. And Bose uh, is, is, I guess, a company. But what's a Dolman? Uh, it's like a, I do think of it as like a, uh, uh, it is like a uh, one of those uh, law firms that's ambulance chasing. You see the uh, commercials for it on the billboards outside your uh, whatever. Because if you have a phone, you have a lawyer. So Rose Holman is playing who again? Count ain't bros yep. Yeah, Mount St. Joseph. Yeah, I mean you know, it's in the it's in the ballpark, right? No making up words. Uh, yeah, sure, close enough. And I appreciate your. Um, your effort. I hope the the listeners appreciate it. That game is uh, is one of the ones that has um, conference title implications. This one is in the in the heartland. Uh, Rose Holman is one point from basically being undefeated in in the HCAC. They lost back on October fifth to Franklin twenty nine twenty eight, but they still have a chance to uh, to catch Mount Saint Joseph. Mount Saint Joseph undefeated so far this season at six and zero. And probably if they uh, if they get over this hurdle here, they'll they have Hanover next week, and then Anderson, and then a odd non conference game in Week Eleven at SUNY Maritime. But uh, I guess you got to fill out the schedule however you can. Yeah, and Rose Holman has an odd non conference uh, game, of course, to end the season at St. John's. Uh, my turn to put you on the spot. Uh, the game, the name of the game, is Sight Unseen. And I want you to pick uh, pick a team you've never seen in person, a Division three team you've never seen in person, to win a game on Saturday. Interesting. Well, unlike you, Pat, I, uh, you know, you've seen probably well like 120 at this point. I think so. I haven't. I, ha- I haven't added any new ones this year, so I don't have the list handy. Yeah, it's been a while for me too. I mean, I think all the ones I could easily get to, I've gotten to over the years. And uh, you know, for a long time, I worked weekends doing. Especially when I was on NFL stuff, I was on Sundays, and so it was the travel was only day trips, and so I, uh, you know, hadn't done uh, hadn't done a bunch. But you and I over the years have gone to the West Coast for games. We've seen obviously games throughout the the Northeast and Midwest where a lot of D three is, and and we were both based in uh, in the Mid Atlantic for a while and saw lots of games there. So for me, I'm at probably 75, 80, 80 schools that I've seen uh, in person. Counting teams live and uh, and and then also places that I've been, whether it's game day or not. Maybe I could get to 100, but but certainly not all uh, all 247. So 
Uh, I'd like to go a little bit off the beaten path, but, you know, just to highlight a, a pretty good game. But the problem is, a lot of the good games this week are uh, are in places that uh, that I have been. Well, in the time that uh, you were talking about that, it gave me an opportunity to dig through my Excel spreadsheets. And uh, the most recent version for me, I've seen 162 Division Three teams live. Now that uh, counts uh, Frostburg State and Thomas More. Um, and also uh, schools such as uh, Blackburn, Mississippi College. I knew you were going to bring up Blackburn. Maranatha Baptist, Presentation, and Principia. I've seen like seven defunct Division Three football programs, and you've seen some of those as well. So I, I have you as having seen 101, so that leaves you know 140-something off the list. And, of course, you know best who you haven't seen. Uh, so what do you got? Yeah, well, there are a couple I like for, for my picks here. Uh, one is, is since this is halfway cheating, I haven't seen Union play, uh, one of the great shames of, of my um, years doing the Around the Nation column as I ended up a lot of weeks at, uh, a lot of week 11s at, at Randolph-Macon, Hampton, Sydney for you know, personal interest reasons. Um, but I did get to travel to some, so I, I, I got to see the Mona Bell game. And uh, I never made it to a to a Dutchman Shoes game, so I haven't seen Union play. But obviously, Frank Rossi, who uh, you heard earlier in the podcast, is a Union grad, has called Union games. So he's seen a ton of Union games. I think they're going to beat Buffalo State this week. We talked a little bit in one of the previous recent podcasts at Buffalo State. Um, you know, as tough as the competition they played this season has been, uh, just got on the board last week with a 13-7 win at Rochester. So I think that's a safe pick for for union to uh to go to seven and oh and i also um want to highlight one that i'd love to have gone to and it was on the list for a while and we could just never make it work Does, you know it doesn't have playoff implications so uh it was always a tough choice to make in the middle of the season got invited up there a couple times but uh but middlebury and uh they're they're um atop the nescac they're at Bowden this week which is even further up north in Maine, Middlebury's in a very, uh, fairly high, high up in Vermont. Beautiful place to see a game. It's sort of like um, in the same class with Coast Guard and some of the other places. You know, seeing the game at, at Clement Stadium at St. John's when the foliage changes. The Middlebury view is facing out toward a mountain range. Essentially, I don't know if it's the Green Mountains or whatever. My Vermont geography is a little shaky, but would love to uh, to have see, seen a game there. And if you ever get a chance to go up and uh, and check one out at Middlebury. That's a great place to go see a game. So those are my two picks. I know you only asked for one, but I felt like Union was a bit of a cheat because I have never seen them, but certainly people in our circle have seen Union. All right, so I've got uh, a second part of this game for you, and now uh, I have to ask you to pick a team that you've seen more than once to lose on Saturday. Oh, to lose because I, I was like all over this. Um, well, in terms of teams we've seen play multiple times, it's always almost always been in in the playoffs with these these two. Uh, Linfield is at Pacific Lutheran uh, on Saturday, and it's uh, it doesn't get a ton of attention this season because Linfield is just at the very bottom of the top twenty five, ranked twenty fourth. Pacific Lutheran certainly not the team they were twenty years ago when they won the national championship and one of the great surprises in D three back when there were surprises in D three. Uh, Linfield and Pacific Lutheran have have both made it to Stag Bowls recently. And the reason I wanted to spotlight this one is um, 
Linfield scored 77 the past two times out. They were against Puget Sound and against Willamette. Those were both at home, 77-22 and then 77-0 last week. So Pacific Lutheran's task here is to not give up 77 this week. They're at home in Tacoma, which is a, a bit of a trip from McMinnville, Oregon, but not uh, not too bad of, of a trip. And uh, Pacific Lutheran on a four-game losing streak, so I can't imagine they will uh, they'll pull the upset here. But the goal, the reason I'm highlighting it, let's say, is uh, is yeah, try to not give up 77. I gotta ask. Uh, I'm fairly certain that I've seen PLU twice, and I know I've seen them once. You're sure you've seen them more than once? Ooh, um, I was definitely counting. I was definitely counting the year uh, we saw them in in. Uh, Rowan, and then I've seen Linfield enough times, you know, over the years, so that was easy. I may, yeah, I may have cheated on that one. I didn't know both. You had to see both teams. No, you just the, the team, team that lost. Just the team that lost to see more than once. Well, I've been to Pacific Lutheran when there was not a game. All no, right, no, that's not even correct. All right, you know what? Close enough. I'm just gonna take it. I mean, you know, at least it wasn't like Brockport Hartwick, which was actually played last week, so. We'll uh we'll 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 uh, we'll accept it and go on. Was that a whoa? Was that somebody do that one time? Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you spotlighted your stat of the week uh, on Monday's pod was from a game that was played in week six rather than week seven. Someone on Twitter pointed what? It out. You know, Twitter people they point things out. Dang it. Yeah, so we just checked back on the stat of the week from Pod Two Fifty Two, but we're gonna check back on the on the spot from Pod Two Fifty One. And then last week we asked Keith to guess the attendance at the Johnny Tommy game, and he offered a pick of nineteen thousand four hundred one. The actual retail, pr- I'm sorry, the actual attendance nineteen thousand five hundred eight, a difference of one hundred and seven. You're a winner. Yeah, I'm, uh, I didn't know where they put the extra one hundred eight people, but they had nineteen thousand four hundred seats at Allianz Field. Where, uh, where the Johnny Tommy game was played. Pat, you were asked to pick three games in descending order of margin of victory and pick a winner in each one. From the start, you went big, taking Hope over Finlandia, and Hope won by 67 points. The middle result was Carnegie Mellon over Bethany. <laughs> You'd have thought that was safe, but Bethany actually won and won that game by four. You also picked Kane over TCNJ for the close game, and it was close, but TCNJ was the winner also by four. I had a... Uh, a scoutmaster who said close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and nuclear bombs. Um, maybe that's an 80s. I've never heard anyone. I never heard anyone tack the nuclear bombs onto that one. The kind phrase is definitely horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> kind of makes sense, right? In a kind of scary sort of way. That's the sound of the roulette wheel turning. We've got 118 games this week, uh, and it lands on number 17. And counting up kind of chronologically from the beginning of the week, we land on Southern Virginia at Ferrum. Uh, of course, this is a game that if you were under a rock for the last three years and don't know, this is now an Old Dominion Athletic Conference game. Yeah, Ferrum came over from the USA South, Southern Virginia from the NJAC, which was never a great fit. It was always a marriage of convenience for both a school that needed a conference and a conference that needed a 10th team, so now uh, that's, an, that's an ODAC team, and it fits a little more geographically. Southern Virginia was one of the big surprises early in the season. They started off the season with a 34-20 win against Montclair, uh, Montclair State, 34-21. Uh, 
won uh, against Hampton Sydney 29-17. And then if promptly lost four straight, they've given up at least 40 in each of those losses. So maybe the uh, the early season win was a bit of a mirage. Maybe they uh, they they you know weren't exactly what they were cracked up to be. But um, Southern Virginia was a little bit of uh, like like I said, a, just a, a early season shocker, surprise. And uh, Ferrum, on the other hand, has had a tough go its first time in the ODAC. And honestly, it's a little bit of a, a front loaded schedule for them having to face Randolph, Macon, Washington, Lee, and Bridgewater all early. Uh, Averett as a non-conference game, so they've had uh, they've had a, a little bit of a tough run. Their wins are uh, are crosstown rivals, actually, although they paid, played them about a month apart. Wins are at Greensboro and against Guilford. Ferrum has a chance to finish strong, maybe get back to 500. Uh, starting this week at Southern Virginia or against Southern Virginia, they'll play Shenandoah, Hampton City, and Emory and Henry to finish the season. So this will be a um, an interesting one in in the sense that we talk about the ODAC uh, as a league where each team legitimately, you know, every coach in every conference says this, oh, it's a tough league, a tough conference. Every, every Saturday you got to play hard or you can get beat. And I mean, to some degree that's um, that's true, but you know, Mountain Union is not losing the capital and uh, you know, certain teams can, can mail it in for three quarters and still, uh, still pick up a win. But I think in the ODAC for a long time, this was the 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 conference where the first place team could easily lose to the sixth place team. And I think they're actually getting a little bit of separation. Uh, it's happening this season with Randolph Macon and Bridgewater way out in front. They're actually looking like the ODAC may have a, a, a two horse race. Washington Lee and Emory and Henry still in the mix. And, uh, and then Ferrum and Southern Virginia are in the group along with Guilford and Hampton Sydney that are bringing up the rear. So very rare to, to have a, a ODAC where uh, where there's a big split. It's almost looking like the North Coast now. Well, that's not a good example, but where there's like a top half and a bottom half. The, the ODAC maybe is like a, a top tier, middle tier, and a lower tier. And this Ferrum-Southern Virginia game is teams that are trying to fight and stay out of that low tier. Well, you've given me some time to think about what we would call this rivalry, what cup that they would play for. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about this part of the country, Keith, is the is the Blue Ridge Parkway. So I'm going to say you can get pretty close to the entire distance from one school to the other on the Blue Ridge Parkway. I might not recommend it if, you know, you don't have an extra hour and a half to kill um, because, you know, the Blue Ridge Parkway is scenic, but it's not Interstate 81. Uh, but I would uh, advocate calling this one the Blue Ridge Parkway Classic. Oh, the Battle of the Blue Ridge. Come on. Oh, what? That was a thing. That Did we already have a Battle of the Blue Ridge? It was a Battle of the Bulge. I don't know about the Blue Ridge. <laughs> Keith leading us straight into the one-liners. This is where I rattle off a game, and Keith responds with uh, a one-liner. And we're going to start with uh, number six, Muhlenberg at McDaniel. Yeah, McDaniel was actually one of the, the surprising starts, especially for teams under a new coach in Demarcus White. That was a couple of weeks ago in September. They were three and one. Uh, they've now they've lost uh, to Juniata and had a bye week and then came out after the bye, uh, went to Dickinson, lost 34-0. So it, now really wondering uh, with number six Muhlenberg coming to town, uh, you know, what's going to happen in that one. That used to be a really, really great rivalry back when uh, when McDaniel first became McDaniel at the end of the Western Maryland days. Uh, number 11, John Carroll at Marietta. I think the thing about this one, of course, John Carroll, we haven't seen them 
meet their match. They've pretty much blown everyone out and got blown out by Mount Union. The uh, the deal for Marietta, of course, senior running back Tanner Clark, his last chance to uh, to get at John Carroll. He's averaging 124 rushing yards per game, 747 and nine touchdowns on the season. That's in the top 16 in the country. I tried to get him in the top 15, but uh, but I would have been cheating. Ohio Wesleyan at Hiram. This one, I'm a little curious why you put it on here, if we're being totally honest. Hiram's 0-6. They uh, have had trouble scoring. They haven't gone over 12 points in a game this season. Uh, They lost 7-0 to Oberlin last week. And the interesting thing about that, of course, is um, Oberlin has barely scored at all this season. Uh, And this 7, the 7 for Oberlin was uh, was a pretty big deal, given that uh, Oberlin uh, scored 17 all season. Hiram scored 38 all season. Oberlin's one and five, Hiram's one and six. Ohio Wesleyan, on the other hand, way at the other end of the spectrum, at the top of the North Coast, trying to keep pace with those uh, with those teams that are all four and one tied atop the conference. And remember, early in the pod, when I couldn't remember the other conference that had a cluster at the top, uh, that was the one, the North Coast. Well, I had kind of a cluster at Hiram as well. Uh, Henry Stanford stepped down as head coach, and he will be replaced on an interim basis by the defensive coordinator, Chris Rossalot. Uh, coming up next, Wilkes at Misericordia. Yeah, this one is interesting to me because um, Misericordia is 4-1, and one, sort of quietly, and uh, has scored 40 points the last couple times out in the back-to-back weeks. And Wilkes, of course, needs to bounce back from uh, they they had a five and one start and then lost forty two zero to Del Val last week. So Wilkes, I mean, I guess technically uh, still in the mix for the for the conference title, but now trailing Delaware Valley Misericordia, um, also right atop the conference with uh, right there with Wilkes. And we'll wrap up the one liners with Whitworth at Puget Sound. Yeah, the Puget Sound thing is interesting because they've get, gotten demolished. In, uh, in a couple of their games, uh, they lost at Redlands 58-7, lost at Linfield 77-22 a couple weeks ago, but they're 4-2 otherwise. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why, it's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. And, of course, Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in order to give you some idea of what might happen in football on Saturday. And, of course, we're going to go back and check how we did. We're going to start by saying, of course, that everybody picked the Johnny Tommy game as the game of the week, the week that uh, people stopped picking Barry to get upset. Of course, Barry got upset, so nobody correctly picked a top 25 team to get upset. We also asked people to pick a winner in a game between teams unbeaten in conference play, and we got a bunch of good answers. That didn't include Frank's answer, which was to say that Anna Maria would beat Dean. Dean College is probably the best team in the ECFC this year, but is ineligible for the playoffs because they're still transitioning into Division Three from being a two-year school. Now, do they get to call themselves conference champions if they win it, even if they're ineligible to take the playoff bid? I mean, I think so. Those sorts of things are kind of left up to the conferences. It's not really the NCAA's uh, place to decide. Yeah, it was sort of a a side that didn't really matter anyway. um, People were asked to pick one of the remaining 23 undefeated teams to drop their first game in quick hits last week. And we got another set of correct answers with St. Olaf and Wilkes. But Frank picked St. John's to lose, and that did not happen. Sorry, Frank. But thanks for the Brett Segala interview. 
Uh, then we wrapped up by picking teams to win for the first time this season, and we got a perfect sweep out of Allegheny, Buffalo State, Marysville, and Gettysburg. Check out this week's quick hits on the website by noon Eastern time on Friday. I mean, that you know requires us all to get our quick hits picks in, and I know that neither one of us has here, and it's uh, under 12 hours to that. All right, uh, Keith, we're down to the pick six. Back to pass, looking in the near corner for Nap, and it's intercepted! Zahar at the goal line, returning it to the 30. You just pick a winner. Here we go. Merchant Marine at WPI. Merchant Marine. Ursinus at Susquehanna. Susky. Uh, Wash U at Illinois Wesley. Illinois Wesley. Bridgewater at WNL. Bridgewater. Rippin at McAllister. Oh, that could be interesting. I'll go Rippin. And uh, Eureka at Benedictine. Benedict. I think you get to the end zone before Mike Zahar does this week. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 253, released on October 25th of 2019. Also recorded primarily on October 25th, 2019. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. Also, go back and read some of the stuff that we uh, wrote this week. Features on Olivet and on Western Connecticut. And also Adam Turr's Around the Nation column on why your team isn't ranked. I mean, you know, unless you're one of the 25 teams that is ranked. Lots of questions. Good Q&A in that one. If you like this podcast, you know what you can do with it. You can rate it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts because that's going to help other football fans find it. And you can leave comments for us on the blog page about this specific episode. Like, for example, I learned probably for the first time after having known the guy for 20 years how to pronounce Ron Berger's name. So I've been calling him Ron Border for 20 years for no good reason. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Uh, somebody did that today who mentioned that uh, they uh, listened to the podcast. I so appreciate that. You can also follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and also audio from Frank Rossi. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and you can find his music at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Frank Rossi, and Greg Thomas, plus our guests, Jackson Erdman and Brett Segala, for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. So Friday morning when people are listening to this, I will actually be hosting a roundtable on corporate podcasting. And my goal is to basically do the entire introduction like I'm doing a podcast. I feel like I've probably got, after 253 of these, some idea of how to do it without writing out a script. Yeah, well, you're definitely going to introduce yourself as the, uh, the executive producer, the executive editor. One of the sponsors, it's a social media breakfast. One of the sponsors of this thing is about bacon. So I'm going to have fun for spinning out 90 seconds of uh, random stuff about our bacon sponsor. Mmm, bacon. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.